Welcome to Whole Lot of Wolves, episode 13 of season four. We're your hosts. I'm Joshua Buckley. I'm Paul LePage. Joining us from Baltimore, our good friend, Mr. Danny Paletti, social media extraordinaire. Danny, how are you tonight? Evening, guys. Feeling a lot better after weeks of uh, quarantine and finally sickness. I was going to say, I, I, I see the Lord of the Rings flag behind you, so you're back in your normal spot. That's right. Back back in my room, not not isolated downstairs away from my COVID-riddled roommates. Uh, and our special guest tonight, our No Stupid Question uh, extraordinaire, Mr. Todd DeWitt from Minnesota. How's it going, Todd? Good. How are y'all? Good. What's the weather like up there? Cold and windy. Yeah. What <laughs> yeah. by cold? What do you? Because if you're saying cold, it's probably really cold. <laughs> no, nah, maybe like 45, 40, 45. Do you know it was? Uh, it was. What did it get up to last week, Paul? Like ninety-seven degrees. Yeah, it was pretty hot for end of uh, end of October. Cooled off just enough for a comfortable Halloween. But yeah, it was pretty warm. Yeah, Halloween was chilly. It was like seventy-two outside. <laughs> we, had, we had snow the day before Halloween. No, no chance, no chance, man. I don't know how you do it. Well, also not knowing how they do it, I don't know how Spurt or how Wolves just completely shit the bed again. You know, my my cousin texts me after the game. He's still getting to know Wolves, and he's like. Wait, they lost? And I said, yeah, this is actually kind of typical. Play great against the really great teams. Play like horrible against the really bad teams. And he said, y'all's team uh, Macho needs to be uh, buckle up. And Paul, I think that's about it because we need to buckle up talking about this game, huh? I think so. It was a classic case of doing that typical Wolves. (laughs) But if we'd have just stuck that ball in the back of the net first, especially in the first half, it would have been a totally different story and completely changed the narrative of, of what we're about to talk about. Yeah, Todd, that was just typical Wolves, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, a team we should very easily beat. We looked great, and then second half, we just fell apart. I just great. don't, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the first half and the starting lineup. So there were a lot of changes, and I think a lot of us were kind of excited. You had Tommy Doyle coming into the starting lineup uh, for Bubakar. You had Big Sassy starting up front with Neto out. Uh, Paul, when you looked at the lineup, what were you anticipating the scoreline to be? Again, I wasn't expecting that. You know, Hellfire and Brimstone and three or four or five nil away from home. But that was the type of team that we were putting out that I was expecting a comfortable victory. That it had all the parts in theory that if you put it together, it, it should have clicked. Uh, I was really pleased to see Tommy Doyle in just to give you that little uh, creative differentiation in the center of the park, especially going back to a a pitch that he was familiar with and opponents and and all of that and set piece delivery and having a a big man up top that could be a focal point. Todd, I mean, this seemed like definitely the ample opportunity to get some guys like Doyle and Sasa who don't usually make it into the starting lineup. 
Yeah. Uh, much like Paul said, after seeing that lineup, I was pretty, pretty confident that we get a result, um, a win. I thought uh, Doyle feeding uh, an attacking that that attacking three, I thought Sasha would get on the score sheet early, and as much as he tried and really fought, just nothing came of it. It didn't seem he. It seemed like he was dropping so far deep to get the balls and try to run and push the team up that that was hampering his ability to actually be a goal threat that he can be. I don't think he had a touch in the box, did he? When they showed the uh, the touch map after the game, which is startling for your. The, uh, the the center forward in that three. Yeah, it was it was a little disappointing. It just seemed disjointed. But I mean, even with that, Paul, it was a scoreless first half. But it seemed like Wolves were just right there most of the game, um, or most of the first half, including another almost by Huang. Yeah, Wang looked lively. It was all coming down that right hand side. Tomato was playing high up. They were putting some good moves together. I think it was Wang's missed shot that teed it up for Ryan Nuri. But even he had Sasa just right behind him, ready for the easiest tapping. And where that shout was, or just, uh, you know, a, a leave it for him to have the easiest goal. I, I, yeah, it, it beggars belief. But if that had gone in, at that time in the first half, I, I could have seen the floodgates open, but as as every minute went on, you were just worried about the potential for it to go south. But Todd, even at no point in that first half did it seem like Sheffield was going to come alive. I mean, they, I, 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 you know, tweeted during that first half, like this team's worse than Bournemouth. This was a really bad team. Yeah. They're they may be a bad team, but I don't think they ever stopped fighting throughout that first half. Is like they are they are firmly backs against the wall. Every point matters, and I think you could really see that in their performance. Um, they didn't play the best, but they knew what they were doing with the little off the ball fouls and just Big like time. slowing the slowing the game down and making us play their game. I think one key moment as well that worked out in their favor was um McAtee coming on that that changed their setup and he looked lively that influenced uh, a change in their shape um so again w- would that have been different if they'd uh, have kept their original starting 11 out there so I thought at halftime, you know, especially with the way Gary O'Neill's been doing so well, getting the team motivated at halftime, they came out in the second half. I was feeling good. I was like, he's going to make the proper changes. Lamina had all the guys wrapped around him. He was going, all right, let's go. And I was like, I like this. And then from the kickoff there in the second half, you kind of went, uh-oh, this is uh, this may not be that good. It did seem like one-way traffic at, at certain points, and it certainly changed the statistics around when it came to possession. So when you have got a, a home team, even if they are stuck to the bottom of the league, start to come into a game like that and have those dominant periods uh, of possession and, and start to knock on the door, I know Saar wasn't overly 
troubled in terms of saved after save, but that constant buildup, you know, it's going to have a knock on effect. Todd, do you think the weather affected the Wolves game plan at all? I know both teams were having to compete with it, but it just seemed like Wolves were having more of the trouble. I want to say no. Like you would expect professional footballers to be prepared to play in any weather. Um, but I do think I do think it played in a little bit. Uh, maybe people were just a little bit hesitant to go in and make some tackles or I don't know, but it just like through we, we like you said we just looked disjointed and weren't smooth in transition Paul on their first goal you think it was just an unfortunate bounce that found a clearing or was it bad defense I think the the setup was bad initially but then the, the like the the ricochet into his path that put him through on goal that was fortunate but even then I thought um Triori making up the ground was going to close him down and and he'd get a tackle in. So from that point forward, it was a phenomenal finish from outside of the box still to, to score from the position that he did. It wasn't like he was, you know, throwing goal one-on-one versus Saar. It was a, a, a great shot. So um, I think there was some unfortunate elements to it, but you, you can't really rule out the, the particular finish that came from him. Todd, what do you think they could have done to prevent that goal? Just be, just show a little composure. I think Wolves this season really struggle with keeping their heads about them, keeping their wits, and just showing that little that little bit of organization and composure when the opportunity matters. Uh, that game was just we were on the back heel. We were kind of chasing it at that point. Like Paul said, that momentum was building, and it just like takes one person in that moment to, Hey, say maybe, Hey, we should put this out and try to, and try to look up the field and get something going. Just take the momentum out of that play, slow it down, reset. And then Paul, I'm going to make, I'm going to make Todd cringe here. The Bella guardian of the galaxy. He came in in the 61st (laughs) minute. (laughs) And uh, came up with a butte. Of a goal, and it kind of looked like, even though I feel like most Wolves fans would have been disappointed, we didn't get three points. I felt like, okay, at least getting a point on the road would be a decent result. No, it did seem like those Luton vibes again that you you, you come away with with a point uh, against. Not necessarily like the tough opponent, but the the tough circumstances of a team that that were battling of the conditions uh, and all of that, and um, you know they've they had that one mall in against Newcastle, and we'll probably touch on this a little later with some of the comments that O'Neill came out with this week. But they've never really been continually battered in the, their games. You know they've been close. They've, they've given some teams a real run for their money. So when you do stack up all of that, if you, again, go behind and you're able to battle back and at least get something out of the game away from home, then then you take it and you look at the positives. So, Todd, we kind of talked uh, last week on the podcast about, well, where is Bellegarde fit in this squad? If Neto's fit and if he's not fit, I think 
this last game kind of showed when Neto's not on the field, probably Bellegarde needs to be there, no? Yeah, definitely. I think he's where he fits in the squad. I would imagine just in Neto's place on the wing there, on one of the wings, whatever one he feels more confident in. Um, Cunha was popping up there a little bit here and there throughout uh, this weekend's game, and it is that is not his place. He needs to be playing through the middle of the pitch. Um, so I think Bellegarde on the wing, perhaps. And then, Todd, I, when when Paul said you were going to be on this week, I said he's very cruel. He's very cruel. Because the biggest Fabio apologist is you. And it yeah. was it was rough. Um, he comes on. I actually felt confident when he was coming on. I was like, this might be it. This might be the time he comes through. And then he gets a yellow in 37 seconds. And you're like, that's okay. He's still trying, trying to get into the flow. Um, it definitely looked like, okay, Wolves were just trying to hang on for the point. And then just like the week before, there's contact right at the edge of the box. Basically the last kick of the game. And it's on Fabio. Um, what were your thoughts as... A Fabio lover. Oh gosh, um, not great. He had a t- like. I know it's just a ten minute cameo, and you can't tell much from just those ten minutes. But man, did he! Those are bad ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, when he goes in for that to challenge that header, like you know, you're second best. You're not reaching that. Maybe do something other than leading with your elbow into the the other player the penalty uh i don't know man i don't yeah that was a frustrating one to watch i mean the penalty paul i felt like this may have been more of a penalty than huang's the week before because of the fact that he didn't get the ball um but they're both very questionable i mean the sheffield player sheffield nyer players already go into the ground um, very clear that that was at that moment what they were going for was to try and draw a penalty. Um, I certainly had no faith VAR was going to turn that over. Did you? No, not not one one string of hope that it would be that they they got played. It was done on purpose to to draw that foul, um, and I think they they can now. You know, that whole element of simulation seemed to have gone out the window that I haven't seen anything turned over for uh, a dive anymore and a booking for, for that. That it seems to have just vanished. Whereas if you'd have gone through that frame by frame, you would have seen Fabio's foot planted and him go down afterwards and draw the foul off Fabio. And that simulation, you're drawing it that way. It could have been Fabio, it could have been anyone it it would have got given and time and time and time again they are not going to overturn those rules because it makes their fellow professionals and i'll put professionals in air quotes it may it won't it makes them look bad they're not going to do it and that's the most frustrating thing um about this game a bunch of other shit from this weekend as well that smarter people than me are talking about it is that we're not even mentioning highlights anymore. We're not mentioning 
fantastic goals, the amazing saves to to um, to make sure a, a team won, last ditch sliding tackles. It's none of that the beautiful game that we come to know and love. It's about these dickheads in the middle who can't do their jobs right. And it varies week in, week out, different interpretations of this, different view on that. Someone gives it one week, someone gives it something else the next, and then the technology or the people that's supposed to back them up to make it somewhat of a standard. It's failing. So mm-hmm. it, in, until they get this, this refereeing situation right, and it, they can go on about, picking on the referees or, or going in on them, but it's time and time again that it's coming down to them and they're not doing their jobs properly and they're not doing it consistently enough. And that inconsistency causes all of this doubt, all of this conjecture, and that's what lets it all down. Danny, what would have been the uh, online um, reaction if this had been Liverpool the last two weeks that had been on Wolves' side? No, Mike, I mean, well, Klopp would have gone apocalyptic, I'm sure. Um, I mean, we've already seen a bit of that with, with Arteta, and, and we know that Klopp can really uh, get on one with the with the referees when he feels hard done by. Um, yeah, it's just so frustrating. And it there's a certain amount of bias, obviously, in feeling that it always happens to your team. Uh, but there's also, I feel like a bias and feeling like it's, it's getting worse, but I feel like the evidence has like actually shown that it's getting worse. When I think back to like, what are the worst decisions that we got last year and the worst decisions that we got previous year, like thinking about like that Moutinho handball at the Etihad, like that one is like. It's yeah. bad, but I can like kind of understand it. Like it was called on the field as a handball. His arm is up, and then can the camera really show that it hit his rib cage before it hit his arm? Like, okay, I I can accept perhaps that like they can't find conclusive evidence, but like these ones are so much more obvious. They're coming what feels like every single week, and in this case, it is every week, and it feels like. This was the exact same scenario that we Almost just the saw. the same spot on the pitch. There, there is no like relevant difference between the two scenarios. They are virtually the same, and it just as soon as they were checking it, I was just like, "Well, this isn't going to get overturned because it is mm-hmm. identical." And for it to be overturned, they would have had to improve during this time, and I know that they have not improved. Todd Paul mentions, you know, VAR is not going to overturn it because they don't want to embarrass the referee on the field. But do you even think that the main referee, if he had been the one looking at it himself, he would have overturned it? No, I I don't think there's any way that that gets overturned, which is the most frustrating part about this, because like you all said, it's the same thing that happened last week. Saw him go down, saw the replay. It's like they have to get this right, especially like right after what happened last weekend. Like, you know, they're hearing the commentary from the media. You know, they're talking to each other about not necessarily how they can improve, but like all the pressure was on them to get this one right and show the world that, hey, 
process, our process in quotes works and we are here to get every decision right. And oh boy, did they once again just completely fuck it up. At first, I couldn't believe it that Gary O'Neill had said that uh, when he went back um, after the game and talked to the ref, that the ref still said that they thought that it was uh, a penalty, that he still backed up his own decision. He was sitting there watching it with Gary O'Neill saying, I still think it's a penalty. And then I remember that the referee is Rob Jones, and I was no longer blown away. I was no longer surprised because that guy is a full dickhead. And he's Angel Hernandez for, for MLB. Yeah. He's Angel Hernandez. All right, Todd. So, so here's the big question. It was a rough 10 minutes for Fabio. It was a rough 10. Yeah. I, I feel bad because again, I don't think, I don't think he's a bad player. And I really actually think he tries really hard when he goes out there. He's not somebody who's just loafing around pouting. He got, you know, he got in the game. He's immediately running around, you know, trying to do something. And then the penalty, and he's just in tears, having to be helped off the field. But that might be it for him in a Wolves jersey. What do you think? Yeah, I think that I, we might see one or two more cameos from him, depending on injuries. But I would not be surprised to see him leave in January. Do you think he ever had a chance, Danny, just with the price tag and so much pressure on a, a kid like that? Because even though some people, some young kids have high price tags for big six clubs, they're not counted on to be, this is going to be our guy, like within the next year. It, it just seemed like poor kid never had shot. Yeah, it's been such a weird saga with him, you know, and I. I do wonder if it, you know, if it was always fated to work out this way. Um, it's interesting. You know, I think it's equal parts mismanagement and also just bad luck so far. I mean, you know, we could not have predicted that Raul would be injured a few weeks after Fabio Silva arrives for all that money. Whether Whatever you think about that business, which like, at least we, we could all agree that there's some shadiness with George Mendez uh, going on there. But, you know, no one could predict that. Although what we could have predicted or what, you know, Scott Sellers or whoever uh, could have predicted at the time is that you only have one striker backup for Raul and that injuries like this could happen. I mean, obviously the head injury is a thing that we haven't seen since, you know, it's so rare, but Raul could have gotten an ACL injury. It would have been the same thing. It would have been out for the whole season. So what were we doing bringing this kid in who was 18 at the time for that kind of money to be basically our only backup striker, um, even if it was too good of a deal to turn down at the time? That basically the idea was that, you know, with with the new Brexit rules coming in and with the financial situation of Porto at the time that we are getting this great deal, is it still a good choice? Very hard to agree with at this point. Uh, and from that time on, it just feels like at every turn, he has gotten the rawest deal, except for his timeout on loan, which was productive. You know, like, I don't think he blew anybody away, but he was he was playing well. I think that was part of why we were so excited to have him come back. But like, but every time he's been at Wolves, it's been like, yes, there is a certain sector of the fan base like me and Todd who 
really want to see him do well and get really excited whenever he gets on the field. But there's also a sector of the fan base that is still extremely skeptical, and it's not helping the fact that he's getting literal garbage minutes all the time. That, you know, for the past 18 months, the only thing we've seen is him come on in the worst possible scenarios. He always seems to come on when we're down to 10 men or when we're just having, like, the worst game. We're, like, getting... No, like Sasha wasn't getting any service. So, like, what service is Fabio Silva gonna get? You know, and so it's like uh he needs to do better with his chances, but we're also giving him the worst possible chances. So uh, uh it's just it's so heartbreaking. And I hope that there is still a chance for him to at least get some minutes between now and January, because I, I don't remember who said this over the past week or so, but it just feels like shipping him out in January, although it feels like probably the right choice now feels like still kind of like uninformed like we still don't really Mm -hmm. know like he could still end up going somewhere else and doing great and that'd be fine like good luck to him but like it just feels like getting rid of him in january now it's still like he never got a fair shake and we're three years on now (laughs) how could this be that he's like never gotten a fair chance three years on and i don't think it's fully his fault it's not fully the club's fault but I think that the club has to take the majority of that blame. I think I'm definitely in the camp as more of the skeptical that didn't know if he'd be able to do it. But at the same time, I was really rooting for the guy. I was glad he got the number nine jersey when he stuck around because I wanted to see him take that step. And like I said, I like I like players that don't get as many opportunities. And then when they come on the field, they're busting their butts. They're trying. You can see he cares. It's not like he was like, oh, well, I gave up a penalty, blah, blah, blah. So I do. I I, I hate it for the kid. Um, Paul, what's the best way to handle this? If he leaves in January, do you try and loan him out or do you just cut ties completely and sell him off? I think it's probably leaning toward the latter more of, of of a sale and trying to recoup um as much as that outlay as possible um i think it's going to be tricky it, it might be advantageous for everyone if he pursues one of those avenues in a, in a lesser league again like uh back to holland or um one of those that he can concentrate on his game a little more, get that confidence back. Cause that's got a, a huge thing to do with it as well. That strikers want to be feeling the ball hitting the back of the net. And if that's not happening consistently, then that has a, a continual knock on effect. So I think that's what he's, he'll be ultimately aiming for. And he'll probably be saying to, to himself that I've, I've gone the loan route and that's done, done, satisfied me enough that it, it's an avenue that I can go and pursue something permanently and try and get my career back on track. Danny, what do you think his value is on the transfer market? It's difficult to say, especially it really depends on if we're selling in January or in the summer. And obviously it's probably clear, but like I'll go on the record and say, I hope he stays. I hope it works out for him. But like, we have to be realistic. Wolves were looking at bringing in a striker this past summer, and if they go again in the in January to try to bring in a striker, then Fabio Silva's looking to be 
third choice, maybe fourth choice, depending on how you define the roles. Like, is Cunha in that line too? Um, so, I mean, it, it has the potential to make a ton of sense to get him somewhere else. Um, I think, I think we'd have to be happy with getting something like 15 million. Um, it feels like a huge loss, but people think about like that balance sheet of like 35 million versus 15 million. It's like a 20 million, but he's been here for this amount of time. You know, I know that he hasn't scored the most like impactful goals, but he did score some goals in that lockdown season. And if it weren't for him, we would have had two even worse game games against the baggies. So, you know, there's some value in that. Um, so I think, I think 15 million we'd have to be pretty happy with. Um, especially if we were bringing someone the other way for a similar amount of money, I think, I think did we'd you, probably. Did you cheat and look online because transfer market has his current market value as 15 million on the, I did not cheat, but it does. It's not, it's received wisdom from, you know, just the, the hive mind that is Twitter. Cause I spent too much time on there. You think that's a fair price to Todd 15? Yeah. With my Fabio Silva apologist hat on, uh, I want him to leave us for like sixty million eventually someday. But yeah, right now in January, fifteen million is probably fair. And believe it or not, I think I think he's somebody that could go to La Liga and be kind of successful. I think he's just maybe not physical enough for the EPL, but I think he has the skills that might translate a little bit better in La Liga. So. Um, I definitely think for him, it's probably best he just head out of head out of England and then go for one of those other leagues. Yeah, I think wherever he goes next, he's going to turn into that thirty-five million dollar player that we thought we were getting, mm-hmm. and we're going to be kicking ourselves. But it just doesn't work out for some players at a club, and we might just have to cut our losses. Yeah, I mean, look at Ra- Raul was a bust over in La Liga, and he came here and was great. He just some guys are meant for one league and not another league. It's just, it's entirely different styles of play. So, um, so Paul wrapping up this game, where do wolves go from here as far as like a confidence standard? In in a funny sort of way, it doesn't tell us anything that we didn't already know in the, I think we're going to have these types of results this season. It's, by and large, the MO of a very average middle-of-the-table EPL team, that you'll you have some good results one week and then you'll throw up a crazy loss that you can't account for the next and you'll be in that 12 to 14 zone thinking, oh, if we'd only gone and beaten Sheffield United away in uh in november then look where we w- we could have been at the end of the season it'll be one of those so i think that th- they can put it down to uh put it down to experience but i think they they can be uh they can take something from it that you know the these things can happen in what is a transition of a season with a, a new coach how about you todd what's the takeaway from this game Takeaway is VAR will continue being a pain in our ass for the rest of the season. And while Gary has had some good results against some very big teams, I'm still not convinced of his in-game management. I think when we go, when we pull that goal back to go 1-1, 
I think he needs to shut up shop and see out the draw. And there were times where it just felt like he was pushing, pushing, pushing for that winning goal instead of just like being fine with the draw. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Maybe feeling the pressure of the fans. Danny, what's your your final take on this game? Uh, I'll probably steal some ideas from probably some other podcasts I've listened to, but I, I think uh, as frustrated as I am with the um, with the the VAR decision, I think to me the takeaway is that we should have had enough in that first half to at least get a draw, if not if not a win. We didn't have enough shots, but we had enough dominance, and they were very poor in that first half. And it's a cliche that you know, you know, good teams win when they're not playing well and blah blah blah. But there's a lower level of that for teams that aren't chasing the title. You know, like like we still should be able to go to a place like Sheffield United when they're playing like dog shit in the first half. We should still be able to do enough to get at least a point. Even if we play terribly the second half, and even if VAR shafts us, we have to do something. Getting at least a goal in that first half probably gets us a point. Enjoying Whole lot of Wolves? Whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening, don't forget to rate and review the show so that we can make sure to continue to grow the pack. Thanks for listening, and up the mighty wolves. So we spoke last week about the U.S. premiere of 1967, when L.A. Wolves conquered the USA, the documentary charting the club's unique involvement in the first major U.S. soccer league. And joining us to get further insight into the project is our special guest. He's the GM of Marketing and Commercial Growth at the Wolverhampton Wanderers, Russell Jones. Russell, thanks for taking the time to join us on Whole Lot of Wolves. Oh, no, well, thank you very much for the invitation. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so can you uh, kind of tell us a little bit about the backstory of the project and why you decided to do it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I think it's probably no secret that the U.S. is a is a really important market for the club, um, working really hard to try and grow our fan base out there. We'd already highlighted a couple of, of key cities, uh, Houston actually being one. Um, and LA was a was was another. I think that started in all honesty because of Raúl Jiménez uh, and the huge amount of Mexicans that, that lived within those areas. Um, and then, it, it, just by complete chance, Lawrence, who I'm sure you're, you're aware of, Lawrence Scott had, had travelled over to the UK and was doing a, a a bit of work for Wolves Radio, and he did a series called WV One. Uh, apologies to who uh, we don't mind me mentioning a competitive podcast, but. So, so as part of that, he he interviewed a few people around the football club. One of those was Phil Parks, former player. And because Phil, after he finished at Wolves, had got this incredible career in America, Lawrence was obviously quite keen to know to know more and started asking him questions around that. And then Phil started off by talking about this incredible journey that he went on with the Wolverhampton Wanderers team in 1967, where they travelled over and became the Los Angeles Wolves for nine weeks. Uh, and I'm listening to this uh, listen to Phil talk. I'd literally never heard this story ever before. And I'm, I've got goosebumps, you know, sort of forming on the back of my neck as Phil's retelling this story, which was was quite incredible. So that, that really is where it started. And then we started to unearth stones and just find gems under every single one, and which is where we eventually found out that this was the first ever professional soccer league in, in the US. Uh, and obviously to have been part of it and to have won it is incredibly special. 
So Russell, with the popularity at the moment around documentaries and David Beckham on Netflix and Rain Rooney on Amazon, how crucial was it just to get that input from those players just to have their what would have been for those young men at the to, to capitalize on with having this documentary come together? Yeah, well, I, I mean, to be honest, Paul, we, we didn't we didn't really start there. I think first and foremost, it was, it was about finding this this story, and as I say, only really turned into a documentary because every time we we, we researched it and found out a bit more, it, it it just unearthed another incredible part of of a longer story. Um, and you're right, you know, obviously, with there's been so many sort of documentaries out there at the moment, we. Even at Wolves, you know, we've we've had Wolves Studios, which is a relatively new project for us. Um, Code Red, which you might have seen with Ra Jimenez, full start recently with Sasha Kalajis. And then this was a, another opportunity for us. Um, and, and we worked we worked really closely with a, a football content organization called Football Co. Um, they work closely or, or part of their business is owned, or they own a, a magazine called Monday Owl. Uh, and so we we talked to them initially about this uh, about this this, this uh, story, and they loved the story as much as we did. And uh, we were quite fortunate that two of the guys there were Wolfroonians, um, and so they just also had never heard of this story and couldn't couldn't quite believe it. So honestly, this started off as like a five minute film. That's what it was meant to be, um, and because it it just kept getting bigger, we ended up with hours and hours and hours of footage. Um, but we've actually brought that back to a 30-minute documentary. But if you go to kind of la.walls.co.uk, you will be able to watch all of the extended interviews with the, the various different contributors that we spoke to. It's interesting that you mention about the media company aspect. So with your professional hat on, is that the way you have to think about marketing and communications for a football club nowadays with this? plethora of content it could go in a number of different directions and all of a sudden you're producing documentaries is that totally alien to to what you thought this could turn into well yeah look i think just generally at at, at wolves we we have a a very progressive mindset on, on on how we do all sorts of things um you know, of course, the football is the core to every single thing that we do, as you'd expect it to be. But when, you know, I suppose I sit in a lot of, of partnership conversations with all sorts of different brands, and I know there's a very good chance that if I'm sitting there talking to those brands, then there's a very good chance Aston Villa, Newcastle uh, and other, you know, kind of peers are also talking to them. So I think from our perspective, we wanted to have a slightly different um, different narrative, something else that we could talk about in terms of how we can grow the club and, and quite frankly, how we could grow presence for those brands, which is why we started to open up um, different projects in esports, in music, and of course, Wall Studios. And they're all, you know, they're all different um, kind of projects which which we can expand our, our audience and also opportunities for for brands to expect to expand their audience as well and just show that we are you know more than a football club and you know you, you're right Paul of course all football clubs are becoming media companies now um, you, you know you can't you can't get away from that I mean ultimately content is just all around us it's absolutely everywhere and it's from our perspective it's it's the biggest opportunity to reach people all over the world so yeah, you know, I, I think at the heart, you are a football club always um, with a with a purpose to make your fans proud. 
but being a you know a sensible smart media company is, is also really important so as americans it's it's cool for us to see you know the film and the success of when the club came to america back when you know soccer wasn't really popular in the u.s i know raul's not with the squad anymore but uh, hopefully you guys are still thinking of a time when you could come over to the U.S. I know there's a lot of excitement uh, building up with the EPL being on NBC, being done really well, and the World Cup being here in 2026. So uh, give us good news that we're your guys are coming here soon. Uh, look, I, I love that nothing more, genuinely. I mean, I, we were, we've been so close a couple of times, as you, as you probably know. Um, you know, we we had a tour which was sorted and then COVID hit us, which was an absolute, you know, kind of killer. Uh, we were very close a couple of years ago as well. So uh, look, we did get we did manage to get over to North Carolina for the, the TST with a with a former player squad, but you know, there's nothing that I'd love more than to bring uh, you know our first team over to the US. Uh, I, I know the Premier League had huge success last year with the with the uh, with the summer series. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about that. So I it hasn't yet been confirmed, but I'd be incredibly surprised if the Premier League didn't look to to put that on again, whether that's next year or two years, who knows. But but certainly all I've heard is positive things. And then, you know, having sat at the commercial meeting sort of a month ago now, just just listening to the consumption of the, the Premier League in the in the US and how big it's becoming. You know, there's this three times more time consumed watching the Premier League than there is MLS, even kind of post-Messi. So that that real appetite for the, the Premier League is there. And, you know, and, and as you said, with the World Cup coming, it's, you know, there's never really been a bigger opportunity for, for soccer in the in, in the country. I'll throw an idea out there, and I'm sure Paul would agree. If you guys come to Houston and play uh, a Mexican team, we'll get it sold out. hundred <laughs> percent. Honestly, that that my dream, and I've probably said it many times, people have heard me say it was to was to was to play Club America in, in Houston. That was oh, yeah, we were that was that was that was my dream. So and again, I know and I know I know the guys at Club America very well. I was fortunate to go out to 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 uh the Azteca um with Club America a couple of years ago uh, and it was a great experience and again I, I don't know if you guys have been there but outside there's there's just miles of uh of, of huts and stalls selling selling goods um all Club America goods and yet almost every single stand had a wall shirt with Raul on the back. Um, and so again, I'm quickly busy right. taking pictures and Crazy. sending them back to our retail manager. Um, whilst I guess from a commercial perspective, it was slightly disappointing because they weren't unfortunately official goods. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to see uh, Wolves have a brand presence out there was was pretty awesome. So, uh, so yeah, look, absolutely, my dream is to is to bring Wolves to to Houston and to LA and to in Chicago and, and and other cities. Yeah, fingers crossed, hundred percent. Yes, that would be great. So finally, in terms of general release and the dedicated website that accompanies the documentary, uh, when can we expect that we can watch it? Yeah, so we will we are releasing the movie on the 11th of November. Um, so it will be released in the UK on TNT. Uh, it will be available just before the, the Spurs game. Uh, it will be available then on Discovery Plus on the on demand. It will also be released on NBC's YouTube channel um, straight away, so you'll be able to watch it on there. It will also be released on Wolves' YouTube channel and also Goal.com. 
um, their YouTube channel as well. The 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 kind of microsite that's that's that, that sort of sits alongside it in terms of all of the extended interviews is la.wolves.co.uk. Uh, and you'll be able to go there and find out even more about the, the sort of story and the background and uh, and so much more. So yeah, it's a it's been a you know a real privilege to work on it from from my perspective. I'm a sort of a Wolves fan, so to have such an incredible story um, was amazing to to be part of that first ever professional soccer league and then to go on and win it uh, is amazing in itself. But then to hear the stories from the lads that actually went out there and how much fun they had over nine weeks was. Uh, you know, it was, it was a real pleasure. Yeah, and if it's anything like the other Wolf Studios films that have come out, which have just been absolutely fantastic, I'm sure this is going to be another great one. And uh, all of I know listeners to our podcast are super psyched to get a chance to see it. So thanks, Russell, for coming on. We really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man, so we're really excited to see it. And uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. I hope so. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So thanks to Russell, Paul, we got a lot of uh, cool information out of there. And he talked to us for a little bit longer as well after the recording and stuff. What was the number one thing you took away from that conversation? I think, uh, well, two things really is history, which is awesome that that we've got it. And you've, you've got that as a, a foundation of our football club. And it doesn't matter what the ownership is we've got it and that can never be taken away. But if that's on one side, I think just the whole commercial opportunity, the the worldwide exposure is something that is unprecedented and it, it, there's never been anything like it. And we, we get so caught up in the North American angle on it, which is obviously huge with, with our TV deal and the exposure that the league gets. But, when you start to think that that that's also uh, across the Middle East, uh, into the, the 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 Far East, China, Japan, Australia, you know, big EPL support over there, it just goes to show that this is truly on a on a huge global scale, and what they're trying to do is to put this club very much at the heart of it. And from the sounds of it, the documentary, really exciting to show how much Wolves players loved coming out here. Hopefully that carries over to this summer. Maybe we'd love to see Wolves out here. Uh, I certainly made my pitch to Russell Paul. Um, so we'll see. It'd be very nice to be able to see our boys stateside um, this summer. Well, there was uh, a lot of good stuff in the media and we learned some insight this week so paul firstly what were your thoughts on gary o'neill's podcast experience uh, appearance with mikey burrows I, I loved it again i think there's a conscious effort in terms of pr at the moment to put him more in the spotlight and and to put matt hobbs that they talked about again in the spotlight I think by doing those two things, it also um, could take the pressure off Jeff Shee and ownership a little more as well, because that's kind of been on the back burner recently. And that's good to a certain extent that we just want to be talking 
about the team and and what's going on on the pitch and and what surrounds it rather than anything that's led up to it or what's going on in the in the front office so i think that's great and i just think that the more certainly for me the more i'm seeing o'neill in the spotlight in these even if it is a more controlled environment i think it's good you see his personality coming out more you see him smiling more he seems tremendously genuine and down to earth even when it comes to talking about his his family dynamic and bringing work home and and all of that that goes with it but then at the same extent trying to have that same look and feel when it comes to the club and that he'll talk to the janitor on every man's terms like he would do anyone else. I think that's that's wonderful to hear, obviously, how it should be. But if that's the that's the ethos they're trying to instill, if that's the leadership and direction from the top, if that's what's going to be the model of player that they're going to look to nurture and, and bring in and enhance and make it the culture of the club then, I can only see that as a as a good thing. So I think it's been a, a really good good move in, in that direction. I thought um, it was particularly interesting that he talked candidly uh, about the refereeing situation again as well, that he'd spoken to Howard Webb on the Sunday and it seemed that he was a... Whether he'd act... It's probably a combination of the two that he probably heard reassuring things off him hopefully off Howard Webb uh, about what's been going on but also you know you're a few days removed the you know not in the heat of the moment not in the heat of the battle so he was he was more relaxed about it all but it was still it's it's still good to hear that that's the he's bothered about it you know and he he wants to see the improvements so to hear that type of stuff, to to hear him speak plainly about it, um, it, it was good and reassuring. And we just hope that's re- reflected when it comes to the games on a weekend. Then Danny, the athletic had a good piece on Jao Gomez. Uh, what did you gather from that? Yeah, in terms of, you know, facts, there's not like a, a ton that we didn't already know. I suppose, but it was just a nice piece about the the guy himself. You know, it's so funny. I anybody who has a more physical side of the game, I always think of as older than they actually are. <laughs> they always forget that he's just twenty one. Um, is is that true? Is he still only twenty one? It's crazy. Twenty two. Twenty three. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's crazy to think that he's like very close to the same age as Fabio. We just went on this whole thing about how. Fabio is still this kid. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, just like a classic um, story of like coming from not a lot. Um, and it was very interesting just to see, uh, you know, him talk about like uh, he he had originally started, I guess, in the academy with the rivals of the team that he grew up. So he he grew up supporting Flamengo, where he where we ended up buying it from. And he ended up in the academy of Vasco da Gama, their rivals. But he would like make excuses not to go to training, like his head hurts or he's got a small injury or whatever, and he just like didn't feel like at home with the the vibe of the club. And then like 
uh, and eventually made his way onto Flamengo. It's this amazing story where over a few years he kind of works his way into the, the first team and then they end up uh, winning the title. But it comes through in that whole transfer story of, you know, like he had heard about Wolves. He'd been sort of sold on the project and sold on the team. And so even when this other offer came in, you know, he knew that he still wanted to go there. And that was that was nice to hear to sort of have like the mythology of that whole transfer saga sort of backed up with like the real story behind it. And also just like him uh, talking about his uh, his growing up with a with a stutter or I guess a stammer, as they would say in the UK. Um, you know, it's something that more more players are coming forward with. I mean, I guess any number of like chronic, you know, illnesses or, or conditions, you know, but, but it feels like recently, especially with the like speech pathology stuff, like there's been more and more players coming forward saying they grew up with a stammer or like um, uh, Tim Howard with, uh, with Tourette's. Uh, It's just like, nice to hear that, you know, that like he wants to be open about it and like knows that like he has this thing that like, is always going to make it slightly difficult to communicate, but like there's this whole other part of his life. And then uh, a friend of the show, Roberto Rojas, he summarized uh, a recent interview carried out with uh, Enzo. Did any of you guys get a chance to watch that one? <laughs> yeah, and I was, uh, I was actually uh, DMing with uh, Roberto for a little bit. Cause I saw someone ask uh, like, what's this massive, like drink cup in the foreground and i was like any insight on that and it's it's yerba mate but like, but he's like i have the exact same like it looks like a big gold cup but like i have the exact same one he sent a picture of his um but yeah i mean it's just uh, again not a ton of information we probably couldn't guess but it's good to get confirmation that you know like he knows that he's come in like very young to this team and it's like he, it's going to take a while to acclimatize. He said that first time that he played with the under 21s, even like the, just the pace of it and the physicality in England is very different. And it's just, you know, he's still getting used to it, but like, he feels very, uh, very at home with uh, the coaching staff and whatnot. There, I think he said there's always an assistant coach uh, at the under 21s games when he's playing there to, to sort of watch him, which again is like not super surprising, but it's like good to get that kind of confirmation that like, he's being taken care of that. We're not, you know, just like buying some kid that we think is going to be hot in a few years and hoping it turns out for us. <laughs> so I think it Jones. tempers expectations a little bit as well, that with his sign in that he was talked about as a first team squad player, that that's the, the team that he'd be involved with. People may have thought, Oh, it's, it's the next, Pedro Neto waiting in the wings and he would have a similar ascent that he did in his first season that, yeah, okay, well, he's coming in. We don't know much about him. He's young. He may get the occasional sub-appearance. I think it's even withdrawn further from that, that it's a very much a, a nurturing development type of role that we may start to see some appearances from the bench, but even those could be some way away. And Russell Jones told us in when we were talking to him how they definitely understand the importance and they think it's good Gary O'Neill's so comfortable with the media and they're trying to get the players out there and everything. As a fan in the U.S., uh, Todd, it's kind of nice to be able to see our players who we don't get to hear from very often or get to see a lot 
see them get the spotlight and we get to know these details about them. Yeah, absolutely. There's not being an overseas fan. Sometimes we don't have as easy of a time accessing some of these interviews or getting to really know our players unless the club puts it out. And so having all these outlets that are covering Wolves and doing all these fun interviews has just been really, really great. It helps like for me to feel like I am truly like more connected with the club itself. So shifting our attention to Saturday's early morning matchup with Spurs, we have Andrew from the Tottenham D- Depot podcast. How's it going, Andrew? Uh, it's not too bad. It's uh, you know, it, it it could be a better week for us in Tottenham land, but uh, you know, we're we're looking forward to to yet another trip to the Mall News, so it should be a fun one. All right. Well, the last time we spoke, and man, that seems like uh, such a long time ago because it was the start of uh, last season before Nuno even came back to Molly New. Um, but you know, with the manager, another manager has come and gone in that time. So do you guys finally feel like you have that guy? Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, uh, Ange Postacoglu has come in to Tottenham and just completely changed, changed the attitude, changed the mood, uh, amongst the fans, amongst, uh, the players. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of new players involved in this, in this new iteration of Spurs, but even the ones that have stuck around, Um, they've really bought in. And a lot of that has to do just with the playing style. Um, Not just the playing style, but but the attitude. But when it comes to playing style, Ange Postacoglu is, you know, he he kind of lives that that mantra of to dare is to do, like Spurs have always tried to be. Um, And previously, you know, under not only Nuno, but Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho, um, it was a more of a defensive-minded outlook for the team. And that's just not... It wasn't exciting for for fans to watch. It wasn't something that, um, you know, even when there was moments of success under the previous couple of managers since Mauricio Pochettino, um, it wasn't, you know, fans were not excited to get up early, especially over here in the States and and watch a match where okay, we're going to try and nick a 1-0 or, or maybe score twice. But now Spurs are going for it. I and mean, we saw that just the other night in this defeat to Chelsea. You know, the team loses 4-1. And at the end of the game, the fans are singing. The fans are celebrating because of the way that the team played. It was the first defeat of the season. And you might think, oh, it's really deflating. You know, this team had been riding such a high throughout the season. But it's all down to the manager and the, and the kind of attitude that he's brought with the playing style. I mean, they were completely going for it despite being down to nine men uh, in, in a one, one game against Chelsea. And that was exciting for fans to watch. Um, and then, you know, aside from that, even aside from the playing style that, that he's brought to the club, he's just brought more positivity, even in, in meetings with the media and things like that. I mean, he just, he says the right things. He's, he's obviously, he's very well media trained He's not going to um, disparage the club like like some of the previous managers did disparage the players. Um, he has a positive attitude. He has high expectations and he's demanding, but um, he knows that football is a game and it's 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 fun. And he wants the fans to have fun coming to the game. And um, it, we're being rewarded with that thus far this season. But it looks like it might be down to the bare bones come Saturday. 
There's no question. Um, injuries, suspensions. Um, I have no idea what the back line is going to look like uh, against Chelsea. We were we lost three of the four in the back line, either due to two injury or red cards. So um, it it's it's not going to be pretty. Um, I don't know exactly what Postacoglu is going to want to do in terms of of cobbling together not only his center backs but even at left back with Destiny Adogi picking up the red card. Um Adogi and Poro in the fullback spots have been such a revelation this season. So um you know losing one of them is going to be tough, but the center back spot is kind of where this team has really thrived and it's a, it's been a weakness for us in in past seasons, but Christian Romero who will miss out because of the red card that he picked up um has been great. He's been a real leader. Uh, had a, a, a moment of of foolishness the other the other night against Chelsea. Picks up the red card. Is going to miss um, not only this match against Wolves, but 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 two more after that, including a match against Manchester City, which is a real real backbreaker. Um, and then Mickey Van de Ven, who came in this off season from from Wolfsburg, came in this summer, has just been everything we could have asked for for a left sided center back, um, and came up pulled what looked like a hamstring injury perhaps we still don't really know the extent of it but it looks like it could be a long one so he's more than likely going to miss out as well um barring some kind of medical miracle um and then there's there's injuries even you know further up the pitch as well james madison came off with an ankle injury we're still not sure of his status in the midfield um we've got rodrigo bentoncourt who's still working his way back from an acl injury he's appeared in a few games put together um quite a few good minutes the other night against Chelsea in in as a substitute but we're still not quite sure where all of the pieces are going to fit for this match um the center back spot honestly you know that's the one that that scares me the most coming into this match just because we've been so good with Romero and Mickey Van de Ven in those center back spots and you know there's nothing really behind them in terms of depth there is Eric Dyer who's a, who's a stalwart and he's likely going to start um, at one of the two center back spots, but the other one truly is a mystery. We saw um, Pierre-Emile Hoybier, a midfielder, kind of step back into that role when we were down to nine men the other night against Chelsea. We've seen Emerson Royale, who's been kind of backing up Pedro Poor at the right back spot. He even stepped in to play little center back. Ben Davis, who's been with the team for, for so many years, can mix between a left-sided center back and a left back. He's still kind of recovering from injury as well, wasn't even in the team the other night, so it is a mystery. Um, there could be an appearance from the young teenager, Ashley Phillips, who came over in the summer, but he has no premier league experience. So it would, it, it, it could be just throw him, you know, pardon the pun to the wolves in, in this scenario and see what happens. So it is a, it is a real mystery. What, what pasta is going to come up with um, in terms of the back line, the, the attacking, you know, stuff is, is still pretty good. We are down with Charleston, uh, he's he's having surgery, but there is still Youngman's son. Brennan Johnson has come on and looked really good, and Dayan Kulosevsky has been great as well. So, and and the other midfielders, Ibasuma, uh, Pat Matesar. There's there's so many good options uh, going forward. It's just that back line that I'm really fearful of for this week. So obviously, you guys are near the top of the table, looking really good. Um, but you're talking about kind of the issues with depth. Do you feel like that's going to be what could potentially derail you guys getting a championship this year? And if so, like what's, what's ultimately the progress that Spurs fans want to see this year from the squad? 
There's no question about it that it's the depth. And I think if you would have asked any Spurs fan a week ago, um, prior to everything that happened against Chelsea in, in such an eventful, um, not even 90 minutes, it was it was well over 100 minutes with all the added time. Um, if you would have asked someone, what, what what's, what's going to hamper you this season going for a title? Um, it would have been the depth. It would have been, well, if, if one or two injuries happen, long-term injuries, we could be in some real trouble. And especially, like I mentioned, with the center backs, with someone like Mickey Van de Ven going down with an injury, someone like Christian Romero losing his head and picking up a, a three-match ban. Um, those are the things that that are and 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 will hamper us. But aside from that, I also think if you would have asked a Spurs fan, you know, where their expectations were a week ago versus maybe a month to six weeks ago, those expectations have been massively raised. I think coming into the season, a lot of fans would have said, ah, if we could maybe nick a European spot, finish sixth, seventh, somewhere in that range, that would be progress. All of that has been thrown out the window. We're we're thinking top four now for sure. We're thinking this is a Champions League team. Um, there's no European football for this team right now. So they're looking at Premier League and the FA Cup because we've already <laughs> we've already been knocked out of the League Cup. So it's Premier League and FA Cup. So there's it's not like there's a lot of those midweek fixtures to to get in the way of not having a lot of depth. Um, and really it is just in that back line area where the depth is lacking that they, they have a depth in, in, in the midfield with, with Benton coming back, they have depth in attack, even losing a guy like Richarlison, you know, he Richarlison is one of those types that I, I think everybody wants him to be a first team type of player. I think we've seen in the last few weeks, he's not the first choice at the left wing spot. Uh, that's kind of gone to Brennan Johnson, who has looked great in his, you know, brief time at the club. So I think the depth is the thing that, 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 you know, has changed the expectations a little bit, and especially after everything that happened against Chelsea. But I do still think that the expectations are high enough with this team that we will be expecting a challenge for the top four places. And, you know, sitting second as we speak right now, that that shouldn't seem too surprising, you know, almost 30% of the way through the season. But um, it, but it is something that we're, we're we're still clinging on to and holding on to and trying to to get back to that place um, in the Champions League. And I think it's not only something that, like like you said, it, expectations versus hopes. You know, I think at this point there are, there are expectations that good things are on the horizon. And honestly, it all just goes back to the manager. Like like I mentioned earlier, it, it, he has come in and instilled just a new mantra for this team and a new. Um, a new belief, not only amongst the players, but amongst the supporters as well. It's, it's, it's been really bright. Well, thanks Andrew. We really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure, gentlemen. Anytime. Uh, we, 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 we love to, we love to talk uh, football and uh, this was fun. Okay. That was Andrew from the Tottenham Depot podcast, the game, Paul, it's going to be early Saturday, 7 30 AM Eastern, uh, 6 30 Central Time. Sorry to our uh, friends on the West Coast. It's 4.30 in the morning over there. Oh, just brutal. But hopefully going to be an interesting game, right, Paul? Right. It immediately dictates my prediction lead choice based on the kickoff time. Um, and that negativity just seeps through okay, the rest you're of me there. Plop. I just I, I can't see lightning striking twice that you know, we have that bad result one week but then go and beat Man City the next week. I just can't see it happening twice come this weekend with Tottenham coming today. Todd, what are your thoughts going into this contest? 
never I don't know. It would be completely wolves to go on and like <laughs> win two one three one. Um, but man, that early kickoff does not have me hopeful. Man, such Debbie down. Danny, are you at least more positive about this one? Not everybody can lose the early kickoff. You know, it's, it can't be a bad slot for every team because some team has to win that game. Uh, I also feel the like inevitability of like the the narrative. You know, it's like I feel like it can only go one of two ways, and we've already covered that it feels very unlikely that it happens again. That like against City, we you know sort of like show what we're all about. It's at home. It's this great occasion. Totally played them off the park. The other alternative is that we're playing against basically Tottenham under 21s and we still lose. And it's even worse that if, like, if they hadn't had all these injuries and they just beat us, we'd be like, okay, well, they're one of the best teams in the league right now. Who cares? <laughs> but, but it's like now there's this narrative that they're so weakened and <laughs> so full of injuries that we have to win. And, and uh, it just sets up for, uh, for a, lot of, a lot of sad drinking afterwards. <laughs> So you know who's probably very excited about this kickoff time for this game? People in Korea? South Korea. (laughs) South Korea. I am going to make a prediction. I'm going to find a way to see if I can figure out this. It may be tough on the internet. I'm going to venture to say this will be the highest rated EPL game in South Korea for the season. They love Son, obviously. And... Did I talk about going to the acupuncturist a couple weeks ago and the guy was Korean and immediately boom, I never know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm drunk by this time in the podcast uh, normally. So the Koreans, this is a very exciting game for them. And when we were talking to Russell Jones, he was talking about how it's, it's very interesting because Son and Huang are both extremely popular, but they're different characters. He said, Son's the little more reserved, um, Whereas Huang's kind of, he's known as like the cool vibe guy um, over in South Korea. Like he speaks a little more openly. He says stuff that may be a little edgier. And so he's kind of, he, I, I, I don't know. I'd have to think about it in NBA terms, but he's definitely one of the more fat, flashy players from South Korea. And guys, I think that's going to affect my prediction here. I'm just going to say that. Um, starting lineup wise, Paul, what are you thinking? Uh, I'm thinking Bellegarde has to come in. I'm thinking Joe Gomez has to come in with Lamina to really solidify the center of the park. And that's where the battle could be won. I think, um, we'll need the three at the back given their, uh, forward line. And then, really, it's if Bellegarde comes back in, it's how do you how do you bring him in without diluting the effectiveness of the remaining two attacking players, who for me should be uh, Kunyu and Wang. Um, I think if you try to squeeze Bellegarde in or any of them in the shape that they've been playing, it will limit one or more of them. So I would rather see Bellegarde given a more advanced role between uh, an 8 and a 10 and have 
Cunha and Wang more as a central pairing, but given license to say, well, if Cunha, if you want to drop deep and, and collect the ball, great. You know, Bellegarde may may run on. Wang, if you want to go wider, work those channels that way. You've got that license to there as well. So I'd be going with a more fluid uh, 5-3-2. What do you think, Paul, uh, or Todd? Do you think that's uh, what you're thinking as well? Yeah, um, those are going to be my two changes. And I, yeah, I totally agree with Paul. Um, maybe this would be a game just to see, give the other Bueno another shot. Uh, Tati, is he did score, but he didn't also look very good this last weekend. Maybe it's time to give him another shot, see what he looks like, um, or not. <laughs> so many question marks around that guy. Danny, what do you think? Yeah, everyone came out of that Ipswich game looking terrible, but then Tommy Tommy Doyle showed us that he he's actually got something about him. So maybe Santi Bueno too. Um, uh, yeah, I think I actually agree with a lot of what Paul said. I think Bellegarde is the one who comes in uh, in place of Sasha. I think that the um, just to keep that that speed on the break. I, I don't know if Spurs will continue with their high line. I mean, that was kind of like the meme slash I don't know everybody was praising them for for continuing to play with a high line even though they only had nine men uh and everybody's fantasizing about if only we had Neto you know he would tear them apart even with 11 men but uh but I think that having Bellegarde having Cunha having Wang against a higher line is probably a good choice I the only thing I'll add is that I think that uh Joao Gomez probably comes back into the starting lineup um, I think that that kind of classic pairing of Lamina and Gomez is well suited to this. And then if you need to, as the game changes, either bring on Bubakar or Tommy Doyle, depending on what you need. Todd, what's an acceptable nickname for Billigard? Since you're not liking the one I have. It's just Billigardian of the Galaxy. While it is catchy, it's just a little bit too long. I'll have to think about this. So we could do like a bell from uh, Beauty and the Beast. Beast? (laughs) Yeah. So Bellegarde could be Bell, and then let's just say Lamina could be Beast, or Zhao Gomez could be Beast. (laughs) I like where you're thinking. (laughs) All right, let's hear predictions. Uh, First, Todd, you've been doing pretty well in the uh, prediction league for the fans. Um, you actually are only one point behind Steve Young with seven points, so doing solid. Mm-hmm. Now you're on the the main part here. What's your prediction? I'm going to go 2-1 Wolves. As much as I don't like back in the early kickoff, I, I think Tottenham's going to come out with an interesting lineup, and I think we'll have answers for it. Like it, Danny. Yeah, I I am going to go hopeful against my better judgment and say two one to Wolves. Alex will said this. Uh, here's a little bit later, Paul. I think they're gonna score. We're gonna score. I won't go Debbie Downer with the defeat. I'll say there'll be enough. There'll be positive vibes, like the Newcastle point 
be they'll have a little bit more craziness in it because they'll be depleted at the back. Get this, it's going to be a three-three draw. Oh my god! Whoa. <laughs> Paul has chose violence on the podcast. That today. Will be super entertaining for the South Koreans that tune in. That's right. What I what I wouldn't give for a repeat of the early kickoff against Leicester the year that I started truly loving Wolves, the the four three. It's a, re- a truly insane Ooh. game that will turn anyone into a Wolves supporter. <laughs> now, was that a 6.31? Because if it was, yeah. I've, mm-hmm. was it? I've totally erased that of even happening at that yep. time in the morning. I thought it was, it, it was. might have been, it was a Saturday, wasn't it? I was thinking it might have been a Sunday at eight, but yeah. No, okay. I, I remember the, the commentators saying that like it's the early kickoff and we already have seven goals. <laughs> right. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm disappointed. You guys took my two one because I thought I was going to be against the grain. I am going two one. I am going a brace for Huang Hee Chan. I think he's going to be very motivated this game. Uh, he knows the country's watching. I actually think all three goals could be scored by the Koreans. Uh, this is, I think we really underestimate how important a game this is in that country. Um, so I'm going to say 2-1 Wolves as well with a Huang brace, and he shows that currently he's the best Korean in England. This is an important game for me too because there's a little sandwich shop I go to near my work called Coffee Land, and it's owned by a Korean couple that are probably in their 50s or 60s maybe and i talked to the guy about soccer a lot he clearly likes soccer but like if i talk to him about the premier league he always changes the subject to tottenham no matter how much i try to bring up Wang chan like he knows who Wang chan is you know like he knows of course he knows who he is but he'll always start talking about tottenham and so i was like you're gonna watch this week right <laughs> wolves are playing tottenham and man, if if we had a two on win with all three goals being scored by the Koreans, that that would be a fun Monday when I go in there to get a breakfast sandwich. If that happens as well, please, Elon Musk, don't take down the videos with the Korean calls because I want to be listening to those. If if Hwang scores a game winner against Tottenham. By God, I want to be able to bookmark that and get to listen to it whenever I want, because that's going to be awesome. I'll download them. We'll put them on the Google Drive. There we we'll go. We'll go pirate radio on this. There we go. <laughs> and we'll random let have Alex let it to have just a drop out of nowhere. Like, <laughs> I'll embed it in a spreadsheet and then post that. So it'll be like the 17th tab on a thing that's hidden as a U.S. men's team to Wolves spreadsheet or something. <laughs> No Stupid Questions is presented by Esfuerzo Wines. Located just north of Santa Barbara, California, Esfuerzo Wines showcases passion and three generations of winemaking in every bottle. So whether you're celebrating a Wolves victory or winding down after a day at work, let Esfuerzo Wines transport you to the heart of California's wine country with every sip. For a limited time, head to EsfuerzoWines.com and use the promo code WOLVES for a 15% discount on your wine purchases. This message is intended for those of legal drinking age. Do not drink and drive. Excessive alcohol consumption may be harmful to your health. If you or someone you know is struggling with alcohol abuse, please seek help. Esfuerzo Wines reminds you to enjoy their products responsibly and in moderation. All right, guys. It's everybody's favorite time of the show. 
Todd, especially you, you always bring it on No Stupid Questions. Sure. No Stupid Questions is uh, brought to you by Esperzo Wine, showcasing three generations of winemaking in every bottle. And for still for a limited time, you can head to EsperzoWines.com and use the promo code WOLVES to receive a 15% discount on your order. I still haven't done that, to be honest, and I keep meaning to. And now it's about to be Thanksgiving, and it seems like the right time. So we'll yeah. be getting on that this week. We all need one. We all need one. <laughs> At Sports Kinda on X or Twitter. I- I'm not going to do this X thing. I don't it's care what, what Alex writes on, on the show notes. <laughs> At Sports Kinda on Twitter asks, if this were a salary-capped league, what Premier League player would you trade for and who would you trade away? Assuming it has to be a one-to-one, so the transfer fees have to roughly match. And I already have a pretty good answer for this. So, Let's uh, hear it. Josh, I think you like this one. You, you go ahead. I did. I, I, I thought it was interesting, but the one-to-one with the transfer fees makes it interesting. So you you can just assume you can't get somebody like Sokka, who probably at this point has a $150 million transfer fee. Um, I actually think somebody like son would be interesting to uh to bring in and i would be tempted to do a netto for son switch even though i hate giving up netto if i had to do one i think just embrace your full marketing potential and be the team of korea and go for it i wonder i wonder what their relative prices are i'm not even going to look it up but we can assume that son is old enough that it balances out with that's uh, where i think i think if this had been two years ago He's over a hundred million. I, yeah. I feel like you know it's it's getting a little down. Yeah. What do you think, Todd? Who are you trading? Oof. Uh, so does it have to be players within the Premier League, or can it be from outside? That was the question. That it has to be you know with a another Premier League team. Well, then uh, can I get Jota back from Ooh, Liverpool? I'll give them. That's a really good call. I'll give them Guedes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Sold. <laughs> I forget. Paul got any ideas? Technically on the roster. Yeah. Yeah. I would give him Guedes for Adama Traore back. Yeah, no, I guess just to not. remind people, you know, there there are a few people on loan here. Uh, Guedes obviously, uh, Podence still on loan, Mascara, Chiquinho, Corbiano, Kundal, over. Guedes would probably get the most money. You'd think. Ooh, yeah. Wow. He- other thing that I thought about was if it didn't have to be in the Premier League, but in the country, I would swap Fabio for Josh Sargent. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. It's not probably a great trade, but I really like it. <laughs> uh, Value-wise, he's probably coming in a little more than our player based on the England tax but I really want that that number nine, that pinnacle. So I'm going to trade Cunha for Ollie Watkins at the Villa. Ooh. That'd be controversial too. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think right. you know what my answer would have been if it was an out-of-the-country one, right? I would have been take whoever for Weston McKinney. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah uh, the, 
the positional thing and the English tax is really the difficult thing to get around. Because I thought of several, and then I was like, you can't bring in like Jared Bowen for you know some potence, like, yeah, 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 potence or something. Like even if the values were relatively close, it's like no, but the actual amount that you pay for Bowen is way more. Um, here's here's my answer. Are you ready? And I'm yeah. surprised that. Josh should think of this. And their values on transfer marks, that's that's the caveat that is transfer mark, are relatively close. This got to be Tyler. Pablo Sarabia. Oh. Now, Pablo Sarabia out for, Josh, do you want to guess? Uh, another another Spaniard somewhere in the league. Oh, uh, Musa. Where, where is he at? Yeah. Nope. No, Adama Traore. A very similar <laughs> price for as Pablo Saravia. <laughs> Done. Done. I like it. Todd's Todd's so Oh that hurt one. That one hurts. Just <laughs> I would do that in a second tomorrow. Done. Just get rid of Saravia. I would give Fulham Saravia without a trade. Uh all right. And uh Dan Wilkes also on Twitter. Uh chimed in with uh i used to boast about wolves succeeding despite being unpopular unfashionable and unliked is this a factual view of wolves and is it the foundation of what hurts us when it comes to refereeing decisions paul i want to go with with your take on this based on whether or not you know it wolves to be unpopular and unfashionable um i I don't know whether i look at it a little with the Roast tinted specs on that. I think that we we uh, we're not like anyone's second club or anything like that, or that that second favourite team. But there's a heck of a load of teams out there that have a terrible reputation uh, before us, even. And we've even had that status going back years of being um, a, a team that was. Always, always up there, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, did that change a little, you know, in the in the mid-90s where we were known for wasting money? We, we had a load of money, but we'd always always waste it and, and fall short. Did, did that sour people's opinions a little? But I, I, I've always thought that we, we kind of had the had the right look, you know, and the right feel and the, like the right branding to be somewhat fashionable. Um, and for, and I, I don't know, it's kind of, it, it's seasonality and, and fluctuations a little bit that when we first came back up those first two seasons, I would have said we were really liked and that the neutral, they really enjoyed watching us play. And we had some great results within there. Now, yeah, the past two, three years since then have been a cluster, really, and, and a snooze fest in terms of watching. So that factors into it a little bit. But I don't know if there is some grand scheme of things to get the EPL into some sort of formal fashion that it's only fashionable teams and I could certainly think of a good four or five that they'd look to get rid of in the league before us I've never felt like yeah and and yeah I may be 
biased as well. But that was one of the things that appealed me to Wolves. Now, granted, it was during those early Nuno times, but I've always felt like they're a likable group. I think last year's team was a little tougher on the likability scale. Um, but I, I feel like this year's group, I think that's what's so frustrating on why we're getting screwed. Because I do feel like we have a likable group of guys. And we're playing a fun style now. Um, and again, I feel like, I don't know, maybe maybe other clubs are just jealous because we have a cooler logo. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it feels like very generational. Like the 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 heyday of Wolves is now like so long ago uh, that like they don't have that sort of like, at least in America, like there's like a certain level of teams. Obviously, there's like kind of the big six or like the what used to be the big four, you know, like. But beyond them, there's like this like tier of clubs that like feels like kind of cool and like retro for lack of a better term, in America, because, like, a lot of people in America are just, like, discovering this stuff in the last couple decades, you know? So, like, weirdly, like, things like Everton and, like, Aston Villa feel very, like, kind of cool and hipstery because, like, they seem like they used to be good, but not, like, that long ago, you know? Whereas, like, you have to do some digging to find out that Wolves were good at any time during your own lifetime. (laughs) Um, So... I, I don't know that it's a funny thing. I think I agree with you, Josh, that like the everybody used to like wolves in the first two or three years that they were in the premier league, then a combination of us being unable to score and, and also maybe getting very uh, salty about being shafted by VAR made our, our players a bit unlikable and unfashionable maybe. Well, and I do think guys that right. that is in the, uh, Nunez, Matthias Nunez did not help the likability scale. Go ahead, Tom. No. If you want to talk strictly fashion, we probably peaked as a club in 2010, 2011 under Mick McCarthy. They did a charity fashion show and Georgia Lacobe came out just wearing underwear. Excellent. That's, that's a part of fashion. history I haven't encountered yet. I'm going to have to see pictures of that. Yeah. Thirst All trap. Right, well, la- <laughs> yeah, I know. Having met George Elakovi, uh, that's a uh, quite an impressive image. <laughs> uh, last last question uh, on Twitter uh, from Michelle. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one. Best way to unwind after tough VAR calls and Wolves matches. So. Uh, you know, the last couple oh. of weeks, I guess, cast your mind back. What what did you do to get over it? Whiskey. <laughs> Josh already knew right out of the gate. Whiskey. whiskey. Yeah, pour it. Paul, what'd you do? Just tried to um, banish it to like the deepest, darkest depths of like the memory but it's just it's always sticking there isn't it that you you just want to shut the tv down you want to turn your phone off but it's just nagging there and you just want mm-hmm. it fixed but it, it can't be so it's just, it's horrible up till like tonight still even today yet tomorrow it'll just start after these you 
European games are finished, it'll just start to ease into looking forward to the next game. And that's the only time I could start to unwind and forget about it and start attempting to look forward to the next one. That's pretty bleak, Paul. I know. <laughs> Welcome to my sad life that's dictated by EPL soccer. I've seen him after games. That is a hundred percent true description there. God, what do you do? Oh man. Well, this last weekend, Michelle and I were driving back from South Dakota from seeing family. So she had to spend four hours with me in a car just listening to me complain the whole time about how VAR ref is just a piece of garbage and they're never gonna get it right and they just need to scrap it. Um if I'm not traveling, I'm just sad drinking at a bar and eating cheese curds. Yeah, do you uh, punish yourself with some Malort? Malort is only for happy times. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That is is the hottest take that's uh, probably been on this whole show. (laughs) That's saying something. Uh, Yeah. For, For me, I will say that I spend too much time online. I will fully admit that. And the thing that makes me feel a little bit better is going on to uh, the soccer subreddit and seeing fans of every possible team across Europe and everywhere else in the world say that these are insane decisions they can't imagine. And this one was even better because this past week, they people are starting to catch on that this has been like a, a pattern. I'm not going to say conspiracy, but like, you know, Wolves have gotten their more than their fair share. And a lot of People saying, like, I can't believe Wolves are getting another bad decision. And it's like, at least I don't feel so alone in my despair and rage. Uh, And it is, like, very cathartic to see other people realize that this is insane. And then I can start to laugh about it. That, like, this is truly an insane situation that we're living in, right? We literally just had the exact same call go against us. And now we're watching it play out again except with a referee with a worse face. <laughs> just so definitely high on the punchability rankings. Oh. No doubt. Dan, is that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he whistles and points? Yes. <laughs> I, will, uh, I will say it's a little bit easier when Wolves lose if it's during college football season, because at least I have the Alabama game, which... More likely than not, I'm going to be able to get back in a better mood. Um, now, occasionally, not so much. But as tough as that loss was the other night, by the end of the night, I was fine because roll tide <laughs> over those stinky tigers, baby. <laughs> but it sucks during the spring when there's no football. That That's when I have <laughs> to just, uh, turn off the phone because, yeah, getting getting caught up in Wolves Twitter can can make it way, way worse. So that was No Stupid Questions brought to you by Esverso Wines. You can submit your questions, anything to do with our great club, Wolverhampton Wanderers, on uh, X or Twitter, WLWPod, for our Facebook page, or you can email them, hello at wolves.com and we'll be featuring some of those if you send them in for next week. Todd, how can we get a hold of uh, you on Twitter? Yeah, uh, my handle is at T-O-D-W-I-T-T. I'm on Instagram with the same handle and now on Blue Sky. 
So find me on any social media thing you want. Um, also, I just found out Mike Bailey, who used to play for Wolves from 66 to 77, uh, did a season right after Wolves with the Minnesota Kicks in like 77, 78. So I am on a mission to wow. find an, any information about his playing time, any photos, any memorabilia, whatever you have or know about, get in touch because I I want to find some. That's awesome. That's awesome. And if you're unsure if it's Todd on there, just look for the donut in the um the donut in in his name. We will be back this time next week to review the Tottenham game before another international break. If you've got a watch party happening before the game, then let us know. We're going to send it out there, help you promote it. And also, don't forget to review this podcast on your listening platform of choice. Five stars or a thumbs up helps us with exposure and attracting new listeners from fans across the country. So thanks to Alex producing, Danny on the socials, and to listeners everywhere up the mighty Wolverhampton Wanderers.